the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus and the ordinary, normal rhythms of life. And one of the, the segments on this podcast is called Theology for Everyone. And we want to help you go a little bit deeper in your theology, a little bit deeper in your understanding of who God is and what he's done. <clears throat> and so we are using the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we're just slowly, systematically working our way through that. This is a way to kind of preemptively build out our theology. So sometimes um, we need to know information um, that we don't even think we need to know. And that's what this Westminster Confession of Faith does. It challenges us in some areas where we might be weak, um, maybe in our Christology, maybe in our understanding of creation, the fall, uh, covenants, whatever it is. And we don't even know what we don't know. And so working through a systematic theology like this helps us round out our theology, helps us be more precise. When we can be more precise in our theology, we can see God in a clearer light. Um, our affections can be moved in a more accurate way because we have a, a clearer picture of God. We can teach our children. We can be a better disciple maker uh, because we don't want to be teaching false doctrines or, um, or just bad theology, right? So... We are studying, well, with me today, all three of my pastoral residents. We got Alex Tate. What's going on, guys? Bryson Amex. How's it going? And Kevin Noah. Hey, guys. All right. Alex, nice of you to join us. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> okay, so we are in Chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We're, st- we're going to look at Article 5 today. We are in the section on Jesus Christ, the Mediator. Um, and so we're talking about the office that Jesus held, what he did, and just working on some, some Christology here. So let's jump into Article 5. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given him. Okay, pretty good little synopsis there of the gospel. Mm. We see Jesus' perfect obedience. We see the sacrifice of himself. We see through the eternal spirit. We said we see he fully satisfied the just of his Father, purchased reconciliation, and also an everlasting inheritance, okay? So there's a lot of stuff going on for all of those whom the Father hath given him. So we even see election there <clears throat> in, the, in the text. So let's just pull out some scriptures here, and um, let's, let's, let's break them down uh, verse by verse or, chapter by, or section by section. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered, offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father. Got a text for that? Yeah, I got Hebrews 9.14 and verse 16. Uh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there it is. I mean, that's taken taken straight out of Scripture, Mm. uh, through the eternal Spirit piece. Do we have another text for that one? Yeah, uh, Romans 3.25 and 26. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so here's what's going on. When, when we say that Jesus, you know, through his perfect obedience and the sacrifice of himself, that he fully satisfied the justice of his father, we're getting at that God isn't just gracious, mm. right? He's, he's just. Um, he's a judge. He's the great judge, the almighty judge. And as a good almighty judge, um, he would be evil and wicked if he was not just. Mm. And so when Jesus took our place and the judge judged Jesus in our place, that fully satisfied Jesus's justice. Mm. The, the term that the ESV uses there is it was propitiation. And propitiation is a huge word. None of us use this word in our normal vernacular. Um, and so it needs to be broken down. My daughter told me yesterday, Dad, I only understand like half your sermon. All the other, the rest of it, it's like huge words. I'm like, it's okay, babe. We're going to get you there. We're going to get you there. We'll keep working on it. Propitiation is one of those huge words. Propitiation really means the turning away or the satisfaction of wrath. So Jesus was our propitiation. He stepped in our place and absorbed the just wrath of God. So God's wrath has to be poured out upon sin. Sin, de- sin demands uh, propitiation. It demands uh, wrath. Um, and so God's wrath was fully satisfied in Jesus. What that means is if we are in Christ, God's wrath is turned away from us hmm. because it has, it has been satisfied in Jesus. So many people think that because they still struggle with sin, that God's still angry at them, that God's still upset with them, that God's still wrathful towards them, and that's just not the case because Jesus has absorbed the wrath of the Father. He's fully satisfied the wrath of God. So we keep keep reading. So one, he fully satisfied the justice of his father. So God is still just, even in forgiving us our sins and and saving us. God is still just. That is not an unjust thing for him to do because he poured out his wrath on Jesus, and he purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given him. What scriptures do we got for that one? Daniel 9, 24 and 26. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone the iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint almost, sorry, a, a most holy place. Another one? Ephesians 1, uh, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, any other ones? And then Hebrews 9, 12, and 15. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Okay, so there's more going on in the work of Jesus than just forgiving us, okay, than just the work of reconciliation. So does the work of Jesus does reconcile us to the Father. It turns away his wrath. It satisfies his justice. So now that we can, we can come into his presence and not just be, you know, annihilated and judged. So there's reconciliation there. But he also secures for us an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's included uh, the riches in Christ. That's included heaven itself. That's included the new heavens, the new earth. That's mm-hmm. included our new bodies, our new heavenly bodies that Jesus has secured all of that for us. Mm. And so that chain of salvation that reaches back from election and eternity past to our final consummation and glorification in the future, all of that is all resting on Jesus's work. Mm. He secured it all for us. We, we, we must quote unquote cooperate with that. I'm going to use that word, but it's all, it's all grace and it's all Jesus and Jesus is the one that, that has secured it has secured it for us. So some people may ask, mm-hmm. um, so if I'm in Christ, why do I why do I still struggle with sin? Is, shouldn't sin be just depleted due to me now being in Christ? So the penalty for sin has been paid once and for all by Jesus. But the presence of sin remains. And the power of sin, now here's, here's what's unique. The power of sin remains, but it's been broken. So before I was in Christ, I didn't have power over sin. Okay, I was powerless under sin. But now that I'm in Christ, I actually have power to resist and fight my sin. Okay? Presence of sin still remains. And so I'll still we still have that evil man inside of us or that old man inside of us. We still have the works of the flesh that we have to resist and we have to fight against and we have to continually repent. But And so, the, so the, the penalty of sin has been broken. The power of sin also has been broken, right? But we're still going to struggle with it. Mm-hmm. But the presence of sin remains until the new heavens and new earth where Jesus will, you know, rid all. There'll be no more presence of sin in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. We hear that what Jesus has done and what he's saved us from, why are people still tempted to preach a gospel of works? That's good. Mm. So many different reasons. Um, I've heard, I mean, there's, I, I, I literally, there's a bunch, but <laughs> people are afraid that if you preach grace, well, there is a way of preaching grace that's some it's been called like greasy grace. Mm. So it's basically, you know, go ahead and sin your, you know, you, you can sin now. It's licentiousness basically. Yeah. Because Jesus has forgiven forgiven you of your sin, it doesn't matter how you live. Just mm. go live your life however you want to live, right? And that's a false gospel. Right. And you know, I've seen people grab that gospel and divorce their wife, divorce their spouse, go start getting drunk, going to strip clubs, doing kind of crazy stuff. It doesn't matter. It's all under grace. It's all under grace. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, one, it's a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And I think 
I mean, that's that's one of the, the main reasons. Sure. It's a reaction to that, and it's wanting <laughs> to give people something to do. Yeah. You know, it's almost wanting to to put the power back in people's laps mm. instead of trusting God and then putting it in God's hands. I think that's. I mean, there's at least a, that's at least a couple reasons. So it's like it's hard for them to receive the gift. No. Yeah. Mm. Or, you know, if you're raising kids, you know, it's a lot easier to give them stuff to do. Yeah. Than it is, you know, just to preach the gospel and trust the gospel. But there's also a piece that we're, we are called. Uh, there's one spot in the scriptures that says that we must obey the gospel. Mm. You know, and so obedience. So uh, the gospel is opposed to earning, not effort. Mm. Some theologian said. I can't remember who it was. If it was Packer or somebody, but the gospel is opposed to earning, not effort. And so obedience is still required. You know, mm-hmm. like we have to fully engage when we believe the gospel, we have to fully engage and then trust the Lord and turn from our sin and, and walk, walk the path of Christ. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I think that's what I think and a lot of times too, it's just people just don't trust the power of the gospel. They don't trust the power of the gospel and they think they need to, they need to resort to using other motivations mm-hmm. for people to get them to, to get them to do what they want to do, want them to do or what they should do even. Okay, so Article 6. Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefits thereof were communicated unto the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed of the woman which should bruise the serpent's head and the lamb slain from the beginning of the world being yesterday and today the same and forever. Mm. All right, that's a complicated chapter. Um, If I had to sum it up, I'm saying basically saying that even though Jesus Christ was... um, he actually accomplished the work of redemption 2,000 years ago in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Um, that that was an event in history. He still, in how do I say this? He, he's still been the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world because mm-hmm. the Trinity made that covenant with each other um, to to create this story mm-hmm. where create human beings, man's going to fall. And then we're going to give all these signs, all these prophets, all the stuff that happened in the old Testament, all of those people who believed in God were still trusting in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. They were still trusting in Christ. And that's what Hebrews talks about. Abraham and all, and, and Samson and all these folks, they were still actually trusting in Christ. And the reason they're saved is because of the work of Jesus, not because their sacrifice and those sacrifices had any efficacy in themselves, but mm-hmm. only because of Jesus. So let's let's go through that and say it one more time. Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ until after his incarnation, so Jesus redeemed us when he lived the perfect life, mm-hmm. died the substitutionary death, was buried and rose from the dead. That's when he redeemed us, right? Yet the virtue of, Efficacy and benefits thereof, or of his 
just of that work, were communicated unto the elect in all ages, successively from the beginning of the world. So from Adam, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to David. Okay? And in in and by those promises, promises to Abraham and everybody, types. So Melchizedek and different people that were pointing forward to Jesus, they were a type of Jesus. And sacrifices, they were sacrificing lambs, but the reason the lamb had any efficacy at all in forgiving sin was because Jesus is the ultimate lamb that it was pointing towards. Mm -hmm. Wherein he was revealed. So there was something about Jesus that was revealed in all these things, prefigured in all these things in the Old Testament. And signified to be the seed of the woman which would bruise the serpent's head. Okay, that's Genesis, right? Genesis 3, um, right? The first time the gospel was really shared in seed form. And the lamb slain from the beginning of the world, being yesterday and today the same forever and ever. You got a scripture for that? For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Another one? Yeah. Uh, well, I clicked on the wrong one. Uh, Genesis three fifteen. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the promise, <clears throat> Proto-Evangelion. And then Revelation 13, 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay. <clears throat> um, so one, we want, it's weird. We could say, when were you saved? <clears throat> and we could say, I could say, when I was 17 years old and I turned from my sin and, and trusted in Christ. Mm. But then I could also say, well, actually, I was saved the day Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and got, got up out of that grave. Mm. And then I could say, well, actually, I was saved the day God thought up this idea because before the foundations of the earth, he had my name written in his book. Right, mm. John ten, so John ten, John ten, yeah, one through five, says that the sheep hear his voice, right, and so mm-hmm. he calls them by name, and out they come. And so when Jesus called my name, I came forth. When was I saved? That's complicated, right? That's complicated. I, I was saved in the mind of God in eternity past. I was saved in the person and work of Jesus two thousand something years ago. And I was saved the day I put my faith in Christ. Mm. I think we could we could say all three of those things are true. Mm. What are you guys' thoughts? I, I I got a question though, because a lot of, a lot of people will probably will ask like it's kind of confusing because there's you hear that, but then like there's some some people that say that as well, but then they just now saying that they're not a follower of Christ anymore. Mm-hmm. So like with that like it's hard for a lot of people to be able to see is, is that actually true? Well, it is true. And everyone who is actually a follower of Christ will actually finish the race. You know what I mean? And what type of race? finish the race, finish the walk of the Christian. Mm, okay. So if, if you like Judas, Judas looked like 
he was a Christian, right? He looked like he was a follower, but he was a son of perdition. He was not a follower. And that means for three years, he walked with Jesus. He walked and talked with Jesus. And he looked like a Christian, maybe even performing miracles and more than likely preaching the gospel. But then when it came time to it, he was not elect. He was not saved in the, before the foundations of the world. He was not saved with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so if a Christian does not remain a Christian, then they never were a Christian. And that's why it's so hard to understand. Well, it's so hard to know what's going on in another person's heart. Right. Right? Like, there's a lot of different... In the, in the society we live in, it's not like coming to faith in, like, Afghanistan or Iraq, where if you come to faith, you could lose everything. Yeah. You could lose family, friends, jobs, your life, right? In America, for a long time, there's actually been social capital for becoming Christians. Mm. You come to Christian, you can meet a nice girl. You go, you go to a church so your kids get some morals, right? You go to church to get some business, so, to, to meet some uh, business acquaintances, yeah. right? To make some cash. You go to church to make it look good on your resume. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you go to youth group to find a girl, right? Yeah. There's all of these ulterior motives for actually becoming a Christian. Or sometimes, too, people just come to our church because they see the community. They like, whoa, these people really love each other and care for each other and they're there for each other. And dang, man, I, I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And they come in for a little while and they're wanting the benefits of the gospel mm-hmm. without believing the gospel mm-hmm. itself. And, you know, so that's what, that's why some people some people fall away. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like a lot of people are sprinting, but this is a marathon, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's a turtle race. Absolutely. It's a life, it's a lifelong pursuit of jesus and if we don't finish the race you know then we're never we're never one of them you know and how do you uh i guess you would say find those people out under is it trial and test i guess you would say yeah i mean i might i'm not really i mean the only people i'm trying to, I, i'm not really trying to find those people out i'm trying to as an elder i have to discern between the sheep and the wolves yeah. Maybe you could even say the sheep, the goat, goats and the wolves. Those folk would be the goat, goats. Um, I'm going to let Jesus do that on the, yeah. at the, on the great throne, right? At, at, when we stand before him. But the wolves, those who are pretending to be sheep, but they're here to draw other sheep away. They're here to teach false doctrines. They're here to be divisive, um, abusive, different things like that. Those are the ones that I'm, I'm trying always to to find out, to protect the sheep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, we're told uh, by the Apostle Paul that wolves will be coming among uh, the church and um, among the believers, and they're, they're there to, to bring havoc to the sheep. And so part of the job of an elder is to discern who's a wolf, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, yeah, and, and to, to do our best to, to protect the sheep. <clears throat> so... Where are we at right now? Yeah. We're at about 30 minutes. Okay. So in these two <clears throat> segments, we've got Jesus. We've got the gospel in a nutshell, pretty much, what Jesus has done. And then we've got a lot of people ask, you know, what what about the people in the Old Testament? How were the people in the Old Testament saved? You know, what's, what saved them? And many people wrongly believe that they were saved through their works. Mm-hmm. They weren't saved through their works. They were still saved through the work of Jesus. Can, can you flush that out a little bit? Because 
again, that sounds a little confusing, right, for the listener that is probably not reading scripture as much and may not know that much detail about it. Yeah, so all of the things in the Old Testament that were revealed to them through the scripture, whether it's the covenant, whether it's the signs of the covenant, like circumcision, whether it's the sacrificial system and the temple, all of those things were signs pointing forward to Jesus, okay? So Jesus himself was prefigured in all of those things, okay? And so it's Jesus himself who makes those things, the word is efficacious. Hmm. Efficacious means it gets stuff done, okay? It makes stuff happen. So the reason why, you know, you could kill a lamb and, and its blood covered your sin was because that lamb was pointing forward, was a sign, was a prefiguring of the lamb, Jesus. Mm. Yeah. So Jesus is the one who forgives sins. Yes. Okay? Uh, and this really, Hebrews really uh, breaks this down and, and gives it detail. So it is wrong to say that the people in the Old Testament were saved by works and the people in the New Testament are saved by grace. They're all saved. If you're saved, you're own, there's only one way to get saved, and that is through grace, uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Mm. Okay? So, hopefully that helps you sharpen your theology just a little bit. Uh, we will be coming back shortly with some more theology for everyone. If you've got any questions, please email me, Dean at sacredcitychurch.com, and we will do our best to answer those questions for you. We love you guys. God bless. God bless.